is brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope and help to those lost in addiction. Rich and Susan are a husband and wife team who found grace and freedom from 20 years of addiction to drugs and alcohol. They broke free from their bondage 15 years ago and are here to share their experience of God's power in recovery. God can change lives. Now, here's Rich and Susan with Freedom to Choose. Welcome to Freedom to Choose. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Susan, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about beginning to believe in God and why it's this that is so hard to do sometimes. That's right. Why is it so hard for some of us to believe in God? You know, today we're going to talk about ruts in the brain, old habits, and how the brain actually develops. Now, Susan, would you, uh, would you begin today's program with a word of prayer? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that we've had. We just pray now that you will send your Holy Spirit to be with us, guide our thoughts and our words, and uh, may we learn something new from you today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Susan. Now, as a child on your way to school or on your way to a friend's house, did you ever have a favorite path that you took, a route maybe where you cut across somebody's lawn or an open field? And did you also notice that after a while, the lawn or the grass in the field became worn? In fact, it became so worn that whenever you went that way, you didn't even have to think about where you were going anymore. You just followed the worn path, the rut, so to speak. Well, this is very similar to what happens in your brain. When your brain forms a habit, good or bad, that's what's occurring. The brain neurons are firing in the same place over and over again. If it's a good habit, what do we call it? We call it discipline. But when it's a bad habit, we sometimes describe it as being in a rut. To put it simply, your brain develops rutted neural pathways. Now, back when I was a child, back in the early 60s, my grandfather owned a dairy. And uh, I used to help him change the sprinkler pipe out there at the dairy. And he had this old 57... GMC pickup with a rack on it and once a week he'd have to pick the pipe up and move them back down to the other end of the field and what he would do was he would put that old truck in what they called the granny gear compound and he would just let it creep along and he would put me behind the wheel now the interesting thing was was that pasture all the way around the pasture had these ruts in it that that truck automatically followed And as he would put that thing into granny and stick me behind the wheel and close the door, I'd be standing on the seat grinning from ear to ear as I was driving, I thought, this truck around the pasture. But I'll tell you what, there was no way I could ever pull that truck out of those ruts. It was impossible. Yet I thought I was driving the truck. Well, In a very similar fashion, as I look back on my life, that's what happened. I had created so many bad habits, so many addictions, that my life was driving me. I wasn't driving it. Yet I thought I was in control. I thought I was driving. Who was driving? The ruts 
in my brain were driving me. Who was driving the pickup in the field? The ruts. The, the ruts in the field were driving it. That's how our brains work. And when we create good habits, you see, we follow good ruts. But when we create bad habits, we follow bad ruts. Susan, how long did it take for you to realize that your way wasn't working, that you weren't really driving, so to speak, that your ruts were driving you? Well, those bad ruts that I was in, it <laughs> took me about 35 years before I actually realized that um, I, my life was out of control. I always thought I was in control when, in fact, it, it was something other than that. Yeah. You know, we both allowed, and this is a, this is a you know, it's, the program is called Freedom to Choose, and here I'm going to say something totally contradictory to what the program title is. But basically what we did as we became addicts and we became uh, in addicted behavior, we allowed our addictions to take our power of choice away from us. And we wanted to get that back, but we didn't know how. But that's what happens when you get so involved in something, your brain gets so rutted, into, your neural pathways are so rutted that you cannot choose another way because the habits are so ingrained. They're such a part of you. Right. And you're convinced that there's no other way of, of life. You convince there's no way out. Now, as we learned in the previous program, some of the choices that we've been making in our lives have been choice, choices controlled by our addictions, by our ruts. This means that we are not in control of our lives, but something else is. We would like to label that as we are powerless over this because we actually think we're in control but we're not and this is what causes someone to be powerless they think they're free to do this that and the other thing but it's this that and the other thing that are running their lives like controlling your life power powerless people don't have any choice but they let their addiction or other people make their choices for them now this sounds kind of scary doesn't it it does it's very scary what how does it start when do these ruts really begin to take hold on someone? Well, I want to talk a little bit about brain development right now. And if you're a parent with a child anywhere from age 5 to age 25, listen up. When we learned this information, it made science and the Bible kind of come together for us. But this is so valuable information if, like I say, if you're a parent or if you're someone that is coming out of an addiction and you wonder why you do the, the things you do, this may be why. Okay? The brain develops from age 5 to age 25 from back to front. Okay? What this means is that the portions of the brain that deal with emotion, memory, learning, motivation, and judgment are the last to develop, and such are the most deeply affected by alcohol or drug abuse or bad behavior during ages 12 through 20, and often through, like, I, like we said, age 25. For example, if a teen abuses alcohol, the neural connections associated with memories and experiences related to alcohol abuse are the ones that are strengthened and thus embedded, or some scientists use the term hardwired. What does hardwired mean? It means a behavior pattern or basically a relatively unmodifiable behavior pattern that's intrinsic to the organism. So we could say a rut. A rut. Right. Right. So it's hardwired in. Okay. So by the same token, neural connections damaged by or not used because of the alcohol or drug abuse 
Those related to learning, judgment, or emotion, for example, are pruned or not strengthened. Here you have a child, let's say 12 years old, that is abusing a substance. What's happening in their brain? Their brain is their brain is hardwiring or rutting the experiences of alcohol abuse and all the horrible reactions that they have to all of life's experiences and the way that they react and the way that they learn is related to drug abuse and that becomes a part of them. Meanwhile, the learning center, the emotion center, and every their judgment center that is supposed to be being strengthened that time, at that point in time, is being pruned off. So it's almost like a double whammy. It's a double whammy. So if a teen is doing music or sports or academics, those are the cells and connections that will be hardwired. If they're lying on the couch or playing video games or watching MTV, those are the cells and connections that are going to survive. Now, this is a very interesting from this neuroscientist, um, Jay Guide, at, at the National Institute of Metal, Medi- Mental Health. He reported around puberty and on in the adult years is a particularly critical time for the brain, and he calls it sculpting to take place. He compared the human brain in the years of puberty to an unformed block of granite ready for the artist's hand. The art is created by removing pieces of the granite, and this is the way the brain also sculpts itself. The advances come from actually taking away and pruning down certain connections of the brain themselves. Okay? So in reference to his findings, Guide lamented, I think that right at this time, when the brain is most vulnerable, is also the time when teens are most likely to experiment with drugs or alcohol. Now remember... If your child is experimenting, experimenting and is drinking or doing drugs on a certain evening, it may not just be affecting their brains for that night or even for that weekend, but for the next 80 years of their life. Proverbs 22.6 says what? Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Wow. Now, you see this late stage uh, brain development also explains why teens don't know why they do some of the things they do and why they take risks that they likely would not engage in if they had a fully developed brain and the hindsight or the memories and experiences that go with it. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. My father used to own a 65 Malibu, Chevy Malibu with a 365 horse 327 in it. And the very first time that I drove it by myself with no one else in the car, I wonder what happened. What happened? (laughs) I was taking a friend home. First time I'd been in the car by myself. Got my license. Okay, here we go. And I'm going, I was taking him home. He only lived about a mile and a half away. Taking him home, and I said, I'm going to turn into that driveway a little hot. I'm going to, so I whipped into the driveway about 40 miles an hour, and I stood on it. And it slid one way, and I overcorrected it, and it slid the other way, and I overcorrected it again, and I shot through the barbed wire fence out into the field. Why did I do that? Because I didn't have any memories. I didn't have any brains. Yeah. I didn't have any memories or experience on what would happen when you took a car down the highway and hit a dirt road at 40 mile an hour sideways. And see, so this is the way it is with with children that miss 
their early years, those experiences they should have experienced sober, they experienced them drunk or on drugs or angry or whatever that behavior is, and that's how their character is developed. Right. You see? And something else interesting. Have you ever met a 65-year-old child? Let me explain what I'm... Susan, how old were you when you began doing drugs? Well, um, I began smoking when I was 10 years old and drinking. Mm-hmm. So that's So, and it, here's what happens. When you're a child like that, and you're trying to get away from things, and you don't like the way you are or the way life is, you begin to self-medicate. Right. Okay? And this self-medication does something for you. Mm-hmm. It gets you. It takes you away from who you are. But it also does not allow you to live life on life's terms. Right. When something good happens, what do you do? I medicate. When something bad happens, what do you do? I medicate. When nothing happens, what do you do? I medicate. Okay. So what happens through your young years of your life is you take away all the opportunity to learn judgment, mm-hmm. reactions, proper emotions and all that stuff all that learning center is being pruned off correct and you are hardwiring or strengthening your bad behavior your bad reactions your jealous reactions your all these reactions are being strengthened through that and now your brain is fully developed and you come through life in your addicted behavior and then all of a sudden you get clean and sober how old are you now emotionally right back to that old that little 10 year old exactly now you have to unlearn all of that you're not starting from square one you have to unlearn all of that bad behavior you have to unlearn all those nasty reactions you have to unlearn to not go to the bottle or go to the baggie or go to the anger or the tantrum or the whatever it is that got you your satisfaction or how right. you dealt it, with it, things. It would be great if, if everything could be just be erased and you could start all over, but you don't. You, you don't. You don't got to go pass through. go. You don't collect $200. It's, it's you have to unlearn. Right. And these things, just like grandpa's truck out in the field, they're rutted in. It's hard to yank the truck out of the ruts. Right. So... Not only are addicts trying to yank this truck out of the ruts by their own, but they're convinced they don't have a choice because it's the ruts in the brain that convinces them. They know no other way. They know no other way. What's the only way out? It's a power of somewhere somewhere and someone other than ourselves. Is there a power, a power that loves me unconditionally, even when I can't, and I don't know why, because this, this power was very scary to me too. When I came out of my drug addiction, why was God so scary? But here's this creator of the universe, this this God that we need to think of him and him alone as our solution because God actually wants to recreate us in his own image, and he's the one that has the power to do it. We cannot pull the truck out of the ruts on our own. He wants to do it according to his plan because he really wants to help us. Just remember, it's not God's plan for anyone to become an addict. God would never choose to place a single one of his creatures into a life of dependency on alcohol or drugs or any such thing. God is not to blame. No, something else is going on. Now, what I mean by that is, I know someone will say the scripture, yeah, but to whom he, cha- whom he loves, he chastens, right? Mm-hmm. right? Well, to whom he loves, he disciplines. What does that mean? Tell me that if you had a child 
that had never touched a hot stove, and he was looking at that glowing hot stove and walking over, and you told him, don't touch it, and he didn't touch it, but 20 minutes later, he went over, and you told him, don't touch it again, it's hot, you're going to get burned, and 20 minutes later, he came over, and finally, he couldn't resist himself, and you let him touch it, because you know once he touches it, will he ever touch it again when it's hot? No. Hopefully not, right? Now, do you like that experience? No. No, the parent does not like to see his child get burned by the stove, however... Those things happen. So something else is going on in a lot of senses. What did we give ourselves over to as, as addicts? See, as we look around the world today, we see evidence that there's something more going on. We see clearly, clearly ever-increasing evidence that there's a war, a violent war between good and evil going on. We hear of young children being kidnapped, drive-by shootings, corruptions with our leaders. We ask ourselves, why do people do these things? And what is it that's influencing them? It seems like nowadays that it's hard to even hold the family unit together. There's definitely evidence of something else is going on more than meets the eye. Don't you think? Yes. We ask ourselves this, though. This is what's always got me, always bothered me. If God is a God of love... Why does he allow these things to happen? It's not a simple explanation, but it does start with the word freedom. You see, from the very beginning, God has desired love from all of his created beings. Yet in order for him to receive real, meaningful love from them, they must have the freedom and the ability to return that love. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love at all. That's right. God doesn't want to force anybody against their will god will not force anyone people now see god can either have puppets or he can have people that love him he can have people that have the freedom to choose or people that that said they love him and served him because they were programmed to do so god does not run his universe with a bunch of programmed people that's not love so here's where the problem lies here's where the problem lies With the freedom to choose that God has given us, we as human beings have made it our tendency to choose evil and follow the devil, which we do quite often. This is the type of behavior that brings on a life of addiction and dependency, not God's actions. Satan, that fallen angel called the devil, has been rebelling against God ever since the world began. He's doomed and will eventually be destroyed. But we don't have to share that fate. From now on, we can choose God, can't we? Yes, we can. And see, God has given us this freedom to choose. And as we have gone through our lives, we've made mistakes. And we've caused rutted neural pathways. And we've caused habits that are hard to break out. And I don't know, when I realized that my way hadn't worked, that I actually had tried... Uh, I remember I remember my friend going into prison, and the, and the prison guard asked him, you know, you think you're pretty smart, don't you? He says, yeah. And he says, well, this is what your best thinking got you. And my best thinking had really, really got me into a lot of trouble. And my best thinking was I was being controlled by those threats. Right. What was the hardest thing for you to deal with? Was it your emotions when you got clean and sober? Was it... When something happened, you didn't know how to react to it? I, I think it was a lot of things. Those, I think it was difficult for me to look at my past and to deal with the person that I had become and, and the, the things that I had done not only to myself but to other people. Um, 
the inability to know how to respond in an appropriate manner was also something that I really struggled with. I, I did a lot of crying. Remember those days? Oh, yeah, those <laughs> days I would get phone calls and, and, and you know, and Susan would be crying. We saw t- something very interesting would happen to us. And, and I think God was, when he put us together, he put us together for a reason. Um, Susan, for the first couple of years of her recovery, would just cried just cried for two years straight and you know and so that's the way life was it was it, that's the way it was now after she kind of got her bearings and got a little bit straightened out then i sat and stared into space for six years what was i doing i was trying to deal with these emotions that i had never felt before in my life i was trying to deal with feelings reactions to problems, situations that I didn't know how, and I had nothing to draw from. Right, because it was like a child trying to deal in adult situations. Exactly. And there was no experience to draw on. No experience to draw from. And there is nothing worse than being just sitting there dumbfounded. But the only thing where the power of God came from was that the drugs were not the option anymore. Right. That was the old behavior. That was the truck that was driving down the roads was the drugs. They were gone. So that was not an option. And that, for me, that's where the power of God came through because he took that obsession to use. He said, that's not an option. I said, I believe it, God. You're going to help me through. It was simple, but it was not easy. Right. And being so that drugs were not an option... It took that whole thing off the table. It was like, okay, now I got to deal with this. Right. And then what what was the option was God's word. That's that's what became the true standard in our lives. We began that's, replacing crowding right. out the bad behavior with good behavior. Learning how to do the right thing because it was the right and thing. And learning that we actually had the freedom to choose. We actually did. A different way. You know, we started going to Bible studies and I'll tell you what. I hated those Bible studies. We would go there to the people's house. Their house was so bright. It was immaculate. It was immaculate. It had white walls, white carpet, and you could operate in there. It was so clean. And they'd sit around with their guitars, and they'd play this Christian music. And only music that I knew was Led Zeppelin. And so I'd sit in there, and we'd sit and listen to them play this music, sing those happy songs and all that happy stuff, and do the Bible studies. And I would leave... And I would get in the car and I'd say, Susan, I am not coming back here next week. I hate those people. I have nothing in common with them. But you know what? The next week we went back. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. And the Holy Spirit was leading us ever so slightly, ever so slowly, ever so carefully with the right people, putting the right people in our lives, putting the right Bible studies in our life, the right information, just exactly what we needed to hear whenever we needed to hear it. God was there with some preacher. He was there with some person that would help us. It was unbelievable to watch the Holy Spirit in action. And she, Susan used to journal uh, quite often. She still journals, but she used to journal all the time. And if we review and look back at the miracles that happened, the people that God put in our lives— and and it was un- incredible and how stubborn we were yet god still gave us the power to do the right thing because it was the right thing that's right and so um as we recap and review today you might have a child that says they're quote unquote experimenting with drugs what they're doing is they're shaping their brain for the next 80 years it's not going to do a little brain damage tonight And as they do that more and more, it's going to create rutted neural pathways where that is going to be the way they react 
to their problems. It's not just having a good time. It's not just an escape. It becomes a way that someone reacts to their troubles, reacts to their problems, reacts to anything that happens in their life. And that becomes their go-to guy. And that is a problem. And this is what's problem with what our problem is with society right now, is everything is okay to have that escape of drugs or alcohol or whatever becomes a very big problem in society because now we don't know how to live life on life's terms and how to react. Susan, do you have any closing statements? Well, we just hope that you will continue to um, tune in and to to listen to our programs week by week. And uh, we just trust that that you're going to learn more and more about the freedom to choose and how you can help in your own lives and the lives of other people. And remember, folks, there are only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle, and the other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity and being overrun with the devastation of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials and have created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Book for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are blessed by people like you. 916-645-1297 or www.justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.